This is a little editorial note to let you know that during the production phase of this podcast, um, an hour of um, material was lost. And during that hour, we basically went over um, the canon of the Sentinel show uh, and the various um, aspects of canon that made their way into Fanon and how Fanon was shaped. Um, and we will eventually, like over the course of the series of podcasts about the Sentinel, go over this material again. But we didn't see any need to record it privately um, to add to this podcast because it's, um, like I said, we'll be doing it again in the future. So um, I hope that you enjoy this prog- this podcast already in progress. And thank you. Okay, so we're looking at common trope. Um, so we talked about we're up to bonding. Um, Sentinel and guide centers or organization. Some sort of support center. And then there's usually some sort of governance, like a council or a, a name of which to be decided. Sometimes people do the governance underneath another another governing body. Sometimes sentinels and guides are governed without any kind of council, but it is a common trope. There's a council or a panel or something that governs. Um, then there is um, that sentinels and guides have various strengths um, and that they are ranked. That is definitely a common trope. Um, Prides or some form of grouping is common. Not everybody uses it. So people call it something else. Um, they don't. All, not everybody uses the term pride, but the term, the term pride, I'm pretty sure was first started being used back when the show was still on the air. I want to say around 2000 or 2001. There's a, there's a specific story I'm thinking of. Um, let's see. Um, uh, Alpha Alpha Sentinels and Guides, that's very common. Um, Someone had mentioned up above genetic matching for Sentinels and Guides, and there was some comment about science not working that way. Um, I don't think that they mean that Sentinels and Guides have the same gene, but that they're looking for genetic markers that show compatibility. Uh like probably the same abnormality in, in, in the gene or something or complementary abnormality or something. I've often used biomarkers rather than genetic matching because depending upon when your story is set, genetic testing might not have been that advanced. Um, but you could lampshade it and say that a society with sentinels and guides might have invested a lot more um, research into, um, into genetics to create better matches for pairs. Um, that's a way to lampshade that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of the genetic matching, um, there is a common, there is a really common trope about perfect matches. Uh, that like the stronger the Sentinel guide is, the more compatible they have to be. Or just that the only way to bond so there's a lot of variation in some of these tropes. So with the matching, it could be that you have to have a high degree of match, a high degree of compatibility in your biomarkers or whatever. Or um, you could do that you have to have a perfect match in 
in order to bond or some people it, it just it kind of is all over the spectrum in terms of what people do with the matching that is done in that way uh some people just write it that sentinels and guides know each other when they meet sentinels presumably by some sort of sensory input that one smells right or guides presumably by empathic input and basically everything about guide gifts is a trope everything from the empathy to um, psionic energy all tropes um primes um the whole idea of primes sentinel prime uh, guide prime that's that's a fan and trope they're implemented in a variety of different ways some I tend to write prime meaning somebody who is governing an area who's in charge of something geographically. Um, I think in at least one of your stories, if not more, well, in your whole, in, in the awakening, it was whoever was the strongest, right? Mm -hmm. Which would be the anything. Strongest then in bonded your, sentinel. Strongest bonded sentinel was the prime. And therefore the, everything in her alpha chronicles uses that um, definition of prime. Because Awakening's in the Alpha Chronicles, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so Prime, don't assume, because you see a tr these tropes, that they necessarily mean the same thing. It should be able to infer what's going on and what the definition of an Alpha Sentinel is, because that can vary. Um, the idea that certain spirit animals convey certain things um, is a fan and trope. Some people, it's just like, I tend to write it that um, sentinels always have um, apex predators for their spirit guides, and that only an alpha guides have apex predators. So it just, but some people write it that, you know, um, having a wolf for a guide means a certain thing, that maybe you're strong in this or that, or if you have a fox for a guide, that it means this. And so it's because there's so much variety in the in the in the way people implement those kinds of tropes you have to be really there's no standardization so people write that spirit guides can talk some people more i would say more people don't it's unusual to see spirit guides talking but it does happen i've seen it in quite a few um i think mental like communication between your spirit animal is okay but you don't i wouldn't want to make some full-blown like demon level of personality because you're just doubling like you're fucking doubling your cast yeah are you ready for that are you ready for that hot mess because i'm not good luck getting 25k out of that uh, yeah, I saw Blessed Protector mentioned as a fan and trope I mean I certainly it's explored as a trope but that's Blessed Protector thing is canon um, zone outs are canon. Sensitivities to food and, and drugs are canon. Yep. Um, it was an antihistamine, I think, that caused Jim to go completely wackadoodle. Uh, so, Fanon sometimes takes canon concepts and explores them better, but strictly Fanon tropes, some of these things are definitely canon. Um, let me see. I probably missed a bunch of stuff because that was when there's a lot of stuff going on in the chat room when um, we were having our connection issue. There uh, are but, some other tropes that are abusive. Yeah. In fandom. Um, 
I'm gonna put this out here, and I don't really care how any of you react to it. I don't want that slavery shit on rough trade. I don't. I don't want to house that even briefly. I don't want to be the home of that story for a hot minute. Much less three rape. months. It fetishizes slavery. It fetishizes rape. It... I just, I just don't want it. You can write that shit on AO3. I won't read it there either. Um, one of the tropes I think it's really interesting that we haven't really touched on is um, sexual versus platonic bondings. And one of the problems that I have with this early on in the fandom is that platonic bonding often led to really abusive situations um, where Jim um, bonded with Blair, but Blair was not allowed to have any kind of relationship outside of his Sentinel ever for the rest of his life. Um, and uh, they were in a platonic bond and he just had to put up with it. He just had to deal with it. But Jim could get married and have kids, but Blair could not. Because the smell of other people on the on the guy would be too upsetting to the sentinel, and it was just a and that's like homophobia. Yeah, it was is exactly what it was, honestly. Because there was there was a lot of deeply entrenched homophobia in that fandom, and that's actually where I first got it really exposed to a lot of homophobia based. Rule sixty three was in the sentinel fandom. Is and they flat out say it that they were changing Blair to be a girl because they saw so much chemistry between the characters. But ooh, gay. Like wow. Okay. Um one of um I think that I don't know for certain, but I feel like the Sentinel was also the birth of the designated crier. I mean, it's the first fandom I read a character in. I mean, because I had every character in the X Files eventually cried, but man, they those authors earned that. Wow, they put those characters through hell. But there wasn't a character that I ever read that was just crying all the time. And that's where I read the most. And the Sentinel probably was my second fandom. And in Buffy, I don't think there really was a designated crier either. And all of a sudden I start reading the Sentinel and I'm like, why is he crying all the time? He didn't cry. I mean, in the Star show. Trek, you know, you know, in Star Trek, Kirk was a designated horror, but <laughs> no, in the that reboot? was his character. That was actually his character in the series. I mean, in the original, like was the, the original. original, yeah. But the in the reboot, he went from he, they made him both a whore and a crier. It's like, yeah, wow, perpetual victim. It's disgusting. Um, but there are there are some potentially problematic tropes. That you know, if you like, if you like them, just kind of like be think about what the implication of um, a trope is, right? Like you don't want it to be super easy for a guide to control a sentinel, control them. Think about it, right? Just because you think you read something where that's been done, it, that could lead to really significant abuse, lack of body autonomy. I mean, just because people aren't doing it, or the story you read where it was really cool didn't do it, doesn't mean it's not a very problematic trope. I mean, if you have, like, 
if you have a character, if you have a guide character who um, can touch their sentinel and put them in a zone out that only they can get them out of, you're creating a situation where guides um, have the ability to wholesale abuse sentinels. And a sentinel is a helpless victim. And even if your character wouldn't do it, there are characters in your world that would. If your world is based in reality. And, you're, and you have created that circumstance. That is a realistic ripple of your piece of world building. Now, I have seen... Um, there's some tropes that get bundled together. A very common trope is body hair removal for guides. And also for sentinels, too. I've seen it both because the, the hair, the texture of the hair can be, I could see how that could be a sensory stimulation when you're being intimate with somebody. Rub skin raw if, they're, right. if their skin's really sensitive. I mean, I like to remove the hair from both because I honestly think that's sexy, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. But I have seen it coupled with um, other things where the sentinel controls the guide's body to a ridiculous degree. And you just you you can take very similar elements and twist them into something ugly or turn the twist turn them a different way and it's something that makes sense like you know an environment is controlled and maybe the guides in control of keeping the environment you know sensory neutral so the sentinel can relax at home right um and certainly accommodation has to be made for somebody cuz you want you don't want a sentinel so fragile that they can't function because that defeats the purpose. But your home life is often, my home life is, would be different from what I would encounter. I tolerate way less noise at home than I tolerate in the world. Right. Cause I want to be right. relaxed at home and I tolerate different sorts of sounds. So for a sentinel, their home life would be very important. Right. And a guide might feel very territorial about protecting their sentinels space in terms of sensory intrusion. But you can flip that very easily to being a sentinel controlling what a guide can wear and controlling what that can smell like and controlling who they can talk to so they don't come home and smell like other people. And it's the same basic issue. One way is something that seems to make sense for the world and another is kind of ugly controlling behavior. Now, if you want to write ugly controlling behavior, at least own it. Okay? Yeah, yeah at least acknowledge that you're writing something really deeply ugly. So, um, with any of these tropes, just approach them the way you intend for them to be received. And if you don't want to write ugly controlling sentinels or abusive guides or abusive sentinels, um, question, you know, could the way I'm implementing this trope be something that's abusive? Don't write sentinels as being prone to being victimized sexually and then have sentinels come online as children. I would honestly stop it with don't write sentinels as being prone right? being victimized but sexually. I, I would too. I wouldn't write that. But I've seen that written and then they have children coming online as sentinels and never even acknowledge that they have created a, a problem in the adult population that would be three times the problem in a children's population. Yeah. 
I mean, I read a fic once. Well, I started reading a fic. I, I closed it. Where Jim came online as a sentinel. And one of the first things he was issued was a chastity device. Because as a sentinel, he was um, vulnerable to being sexually assaulted. Gross. And I do mean a full-on chastity uh, device. Like, um, this is the part that goes in your anus. This is the lock. We're going to put your cock in this. And we'll keep the key here. Which feels like a sexual violation on its own. Right? I closed it. Yeah. So, decide the kind of world. If you don't want your world to be have be ugly like this, you know... Um, then there are oh, things. Oh, you read that shadow, have you? Hmm. Then there are things that are. It's just something to think about how you want to implement it, to because there are implications when you make certain decisions. So if you're choosing to include corrupt sentinels in your world, you have to think about what that means. And we've talked about this in other podcasts, but first, this is sort of our primer on the sentinel. If Sentinels are really able to be very corrupt, and there actually are not, it, I always write it with the idea that Sentinels are kind of like a, a, it's sort of like a calling, right? The tribal protector, and that dormancy happens through a variety of ways, but one of the ways that dormancy happens, and dormancy is a trope too, but one of the ways dormancy happens is the Sentinel stops being a tribal protector. They basically step off the path. And the reason why I write it that way is because I want to write a, a not dystopian universe and a universe where Sentinels are regarded highly and are trusted by society. If they were corruptible and able to keep their abilities, society wouldn't trust them. People would fear Sentinels. They wouldn't want them around. They wouldn't trust Sentinels with their secrets. They'd be it's paranoid. It's also coming into play in you're having your Sentinels self-police. Mm-hmm. To con- to contain those issues and problems before they become public knowledge. Right. I think that it would be disingenuous to say that every person who comes online as a sentinel or a guy is a good person. Um, but if you if you're careful with your world building and put in like checks and balances, like you know the you know the pride system, um, centers. Um, you're going to have guys in Sentinels who are selfish and who are unreasonable, who um, may not act directly in violation of their instincts as a Sentinel or a guide, but they do a lot to make things easier on themselves. Yeah, I think there's a difference between being some a, a sentinel who's a threat to the pride or the tribe and someone who's just, you know, a dick. Right. <laughs> I mean, being utterly corrupt is is different. Yeah, like yeah, the, I was gonna say than being an asshole, but it, there's a difference between those things, right? So they don't have to be perfect. Um, but some people are so corrupt, I don't think they would ever come online. Mm-hmm. Now I tend to write guides as being more corruptible then that's the way I tend to write it. But I do also write self-policing. Um, there's a concept I put into the journey home, which really offended a couple of people, um, which was that guides with, you know, with the right empathetic skills, enough strength empathetically, 
could drive somebody to suicide by tweaking the right emotions persistently. That's a, that's a reasonable ripple. Right. That I think if they, you have a person with that kind of empathetic ability that they could, duh, right. <laughs> that's there, so, right? I think so. I mean, it seemed logical to me that if you consistently adjust somebody's emotions to make them anxious, scared, sad, angry, that eventually you could drive them to commit suicide. But the way they handle it is when they discover that the guide has been doing this, that it is always handled internally. And effectively, a shaman has to come go in and basically cut that guide off from their abilities. So they can never use, they never have access to this psionic energy again, and they can never hurt anybody again. But they don't, is, yes, we're like neutering them. It's neutering them from their gifts. But they don't tell the mundane world about this because think about the ripple. The ripple would be is if people knew that guys were capable of this, every time somebody committed suicide, they'd be looking, the family would be looking for a guide to blame. So I wrote this as being handled as through self-policing rather than something that is exposed to the mundane government. And the mundane government, like the higher ups know about this and they agree sentinels are sentinels and guides are a vital part of our world. And we don't want guides mistrusted. So we're going to entrust you to handle this. If guides are misbehaving in this way, you have to deal with it. And so they do. It's part of their duties as the, leaders of the for the shamans to handle this well this really offended somebody that more actually more than one person but a couple people were super offended that what amounted to mind rape wasn't prosecuted and these people sent to jail and that it was covered up i was like i mean just massively offensive that they said that i was condoning mind rape i was like that's not what happened. That they That's, were punished better than the Medane system would ever been able to punish them. Right. Because he's not, not a guide. They're still guides, but they have no access to their gift anymore. Which, the way I wrote it, was something terrible. So, um, if they're not already bonded, and they probably aren't to be, to be that fucked up, um, they never will be. They've lost right. their ability to, to ever have a sentinel. Right. And they weren't bonded. So to me, this all seemed like logical consequences of the kind of world building I did as part of the reason why I was exploring it was because it was, uh, it seemed logical and it, it was able to, it was a plot device. It was part of my main pivot, the plot device my story centered around, right? Was that Tony had been damaged when he wasn't online by one of these guides trying to basically drive him to kill himself. So, but this really offended some people who felt like I was condoning this with a government cover up. It's like, okay. So I really support in the end, and you can't, this is again, you can't control what your readers are going to get out of what you write. But I tend to write a lot of self-policing in the Sentinel Guide system because it is very important to me, the way I write the world, that society trusts Sentinels and Guides because I'm not interested. I'm not. You may, but I'm not interested in writing um, 
a distrustful kind of world where people, you know, want sentinels and guides and indentured service and they live in barracks and they, once you become online, you have no life and they're treated as second class citizens. I'm not interested in writing that or reading it, frankly, but those stories exist. There is a reader readership for them. And if that shakes your tree, you do you, but just be aware if you don't want to write that kind of story, you need to be aware of the implications of some of the tropes you may select. And so you have to think about what the ramifications are of corruptible sentinels, like truly corruptible or corruptible guides. And now the counter argument to the whole not corruptible sentinels thing is that Alex was corrupted. The canon shows that sentinels can be corrupt. But to that, I would say, so what? This is a Sentinels and Guides are known universe, and you're making the rules. And if the way you're lampshading society's trust in Sentinels, because you're, sh you're, you're shucking this, Jim's safety in the show was the big secret. That was his safety. And when you're throwing that away, well, you've got to put something else in place. What I would say is that it could be said that in canon, Alex might have had advanced senses, but she was not a Sentinel. Because the basic principle of the Sentinel is to protect the tribe, and she did not do that. So That's she true. did not have these Sentinel instincts or the duty. All she had was a genetic quirk that made her sensitive. And maybe not all of her senses were sensitive at the same level. We didn't get a chance to really see what her gifts were like. And considering she was a criminal and a carn artist, there's every reason to believe that she might have been tweaking her senses a little bit to be more exciting to Blair than she actually was in reality. But having advanced senses doesn't make you a sentinel. Doesn't just make you a sentinel. There's more to being a sentinel than have, being able to smell a pair of dirty shoes from a mile away. Not the perfect thing to pick, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's more. It's about duty and um, it's a calling and um, there's a spirit animal and she she basically killed a guide. She murdered a guide. Mm -hmm. And she was a criminal. So I don't think she was a sentinel. I just think she was a person, a very corrupt person with advanced senses. And that she had the potential to be a sentinel, but she used her gifts for terribleness, and therefore she wasn't one. I'm not mad at this theory. But really, what she really was, let's be honest, was ratings bait. <laughs> yeah. Let's put Jerry Ryan on the show and make her hot and evil and she can kill Sandberg, but it'll be just temporary. It'll be fine. And Jim can fuck her. I think that's exactly how that story, that story pitch went. Blair gets murdered oh. and Jim gets laid. Mm-hmm. Well, Let's have her like wear really tight pants. People like Jim and Blair together on screen a little too much, too. 
So let's just put this. Let's just nip that in the bud and, and then have Blair make a really epic offer. And Jim says no, so he can go off and fuck this criminal who murdered Blair. It's crazy cakes. It'll be fine. <laughs> we talked earlier about how sometimes the show will do something, you know, the t- for for humor or for a ratings ploy. They really just 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 they just completely jump the shark. Mm-hmm. I don't think dead air was in ratings ploy. I think dead air was just bad writing. Yeah, but that wasn't the first or the last time they made a dumb joke. It still boils down to bad writing. I mean, if you've got to write an egregious police procedure to make a joke, then you're not particularly funny or talented. Actually, I'm funny as fuck. You wouldn't see me writing shit like that. Actually, I don't think I'm funny, but <laughs> I mean, as, like as a writer, I think one of my weakest points is um in- intentional humor. Like I can stumble across something really funny when I'm writing, but I can't do it on purpose. Yeah, you don't sit down to go. I'm gonna write something funny right now. That never works. I'm gonna out be for me. fucking hilarious. <laughs> And then sometimes you sit down to write a, a simple staff meeting and things go deeply wrong. <laughs> and the puns just never stopped. Now, I have written intentionally something designed to be absurd. But not necessarily funny. Are you talking? No, I was typing, so I muted for a second. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I think that just be careful when you make your choices. Be, um, and be careful when you're um, picking your tropes and you're exploring these things. You got to look at your um, your ripples long term. If you're going to write a pairing that's platonic, that's perfectly okay. It's not my head canon, but then you can't go around and tell everybody that Blair can't have a relationship outside of his sentinel because that's abusive. If if Jim's not going to plow that row, Blair's going to look for somebody else to do it. <laughs> Just saying. Mm-hmm. And Blair got laid a lot in canon, so. <laughs> but I mean, it just I was using Blair as like a any guide. But the thing is, it's it's just it's really abusive to put two people in a situation. One of them declare it's going to be platonic, and then tell the other partner, "Hey, I'm not going to fuck you." And guess what? You can't fuck anyone else for the rest of my life. And I'm thinking to myself, your life's going to be really short. <laughs> um. Let's see some other tropes. Um, Sentinel guide mixers is kind of a trope. Somebody mentioned that. Um, I did meet and greets. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Where a way to meet sentinels and guides you might have compatibility with. Um, and it, at some point in history, that would have been how it had to have been done, right? Mm-hmm. Before you had um, blood testing that could identify what the sentinel guide 
biomarkers were. Um, I was thinking of something. What's thinking about something else that was a trope? Um, uh, disdain for guides is a trope. Be careful what you do with that because the society disdains guides and sentinels revere them. You've put sentinels in conflict with most of society. Um, now, I did write in the journey home. It was sort of an inadvertent, like, um, there had been some people disdained guides, but it wasn't a societal thing. It was that there had been a, an attempt to suppress guide rights in the past because they were so vital to Sentinels. And people perceived the Sentinels being more important. Sentinels didn't agree. And so um, there came people didn't want their children's rights to be subjugated. So they attempted to find drugs that would suppress the guide abilities or suppress the guide gene or prevent. Um, the guide from coming online and so as a result even though they outlawed those drugs a bunch of people a bunch of guides died in in there were get children given those they weren't guides actually children given those drugs they died and so the the government outlawed them and but as a result there in some some circles it was looked down upon to come on as a line as a guide as a result of that whole progression of events um but you just have to be careful if you write like either sentinels or guides as second class citizens and the other side of it not second class citizens what does it say about the the side of the pairing that is looked upon well by society that they tolerate this behavior towards their other half not good things honestly um I think the sensory imprint most of the time is really sexy. I agree. I think sensory imprint, it is a trope, but I I would think it'd be, it's actually such a trope that I find it to be strange when it's not there. It's such a, it's such a lot, it's a logical consequence of being in a relationship with somebody who has five advanced senses, um, especially if you're like their bonded partner or whatever, that they would want to be able to locate you in a variety of ways. The way you smell, the way you taste, the way you sound. It just makes sense. That a sentinel would want to be able to walk into a room of a hundred people and find his guide's heart immediately. It just, that's just a, that's a logical consequence to me of sentinels and guides bonding. We listed um, spirit guides. Yes. We're going to do a whole podcast about spirit guides at some point. Because um, you could really, there's so much different ways of approaching the spirit guide thing that. So we're going to have to get a lot more room. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is another trope. It's not one I particularly like, but there is a trope that Sentinels always top. Uh, <sighs> That the guide is always the bottom. And the reason I find that... Now, in the course of... I will say, in the course of bonding, the initial bonding, I do not... I typically always have the sentinel top. Not typically. I always have the sentinel top. But it's because I feel like in that situation, that particular situation of 
the sensory imprint, the bonding to their guide, the, the act of being penetrated could be too overwhelming. But I don't write Sentinels as exclusive tops. I find that notion to be, and the reason why I have a problem with it is because to me it's equating the guide with being a woman in the relationship. And that's internalized misogyny. Which then you see the guide is weaker, the guide has less rights, and it's like, oh, let's just keep on they're emotionally, that. They're emotionally needy. They cry a lot. I was like, let's they're just keep on burden. with the misogyny train. Just don't climb on that train. There's just no need to. Oh, and they couldn't possibly ever want to top. Oh, no, Jim, never. Which also is like, it's almost like it's, not only is it misogyny, but it's also homophobia. And I can't explain, I can't explain why it, it just feels that way. And it's because they're treating Blair like a woman, right? Um, so in, in treating him like a woman, they don't have to acknowledge the gay sex that they're having. Right. It's not gay sex. It's just, you know. It's penetrative sex. We're just pretending that, pretending that Blair doesn't have a dick. I don't think this... No, let's baby, that's not, not how that works. Let's just not go down that, let's not go down that path. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of other tropes that are common in... There's, there's just a lot. So let's think about what are the things you need to think about. You need to think about how are sentinels and guides identified? How are they trained? How are they supported by society? Are there centers? Is there a charitable foundation? How, what, is your, what is your dense population density? How many um, sentinels and guides live in a city? Um, do they form groups like prides or packs or whatever? If they do, how big are those before an alpha will come online, if there is an alpha? So you got to look at what their internal societal structure is. Are, are latent guides and sentinels recognizable? to other, to online guides and sentinels? Are they part of the pride? Um, what percentage of the population is latent? Um, what percentage of people who are latent will ever come online? And so you gotta like think through this and like you can't say 10% of the population are sentinels and guides. That's just honestly ridiculous. That's crazy Because um, there's no, um, that's, just, that's just an absurd number, right? When you see somebody saying 10% of the population are sentinels and guides, they literally have no, no idea how many people are on the planet and what that would 10% would look like. They, they have no idea. You did the math on something fictional? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Go to the corner. <laughs> you can't do math on something, a fictional concept. I just, girl, no. So anyway, <clears throat> but think remember about it. Think about. We, remember that time we 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 plotted that werewolf AU. We dedicated yeah. a whole half hour to figuring out how many people in the population would make a viable werewolf population. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I know. No, but I'm just saying. But if you can't present it as fact that our conclusion is is the right answer. No, no, we, it's not fact, but it is fact in our AU. 
<laughs> it is back in that AU. Um, <laughs> which is fine. You've worked it out for your thing, but I actually think that number is high. So there you go. Um, but in any case, you need to figure out what, think about how many, how many sentinels do you think that there reasonably would be? And that's the way you could spitball it. Start with how many sentinels do you think there'd be in a major urban area? And why would you need that number? Okay. And if you have levels, like let's say you've got power levels one through 10, well, how many of the really strong sentinels, let's say seven, eight, nine, and 10, would there be in a big urban area? And, and then you can figure out what percentage of your population are sentinels. And so just start working out the information. So you need to know how many. You need to know what kind of support they have, what kind of governance they have. Are there special laws for sentinels? Are, what's, are sentinels drawn to military and law enforcement careers? That is a big trope that sentinels are drawn into those lines of service. Um, I don't think that geography is a good choice for like determining that population though because like you could have a sentinel and guide pair covering the entire fucking state of montana whereas you might need 300 in new york city <laughs> well i'm not sure i, th I i'm going to question you about one because i mean how are they, they can't travel that fast if there's an issue i would think that anywhere you have more than a few thousand people you're going to have a pair are there more than a few thousand people in montana i'm just kidding girl i'm kidding girl. i'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. But I'm not, Nebraska, I'm not saying right? i'm not saying you can do <laughs> Right. I'm not saying you can do a straight this percentage of the population, but you can start to look at it and go, you know, am I going to have a sentinel guide for every 10,000 people? Or am I going to have a sentinel guide for every thousand people? Or, and it could be that you actually have a higher ratio of sentinels and guides to the general population in rural areas. And why do I say that? Also Tell me why you would say that. I would say that because if you've got a community, right, your communities are far apart, like a tribe, right, that they might wind up with one sentinel guide pair, whether there's 500 or 5,000 of them. But so that could be, so let's say you've got one sentinel to 500 people. That would actually be ridiculous number of sentinels in an urban area. It would be. So you might you, have. I think you would also want to keep, like, a, you would want to factor in, um, the intelligence of the psionic plane and spirit animals and what they would see coming for a particular region or an area. Um, so it'd be crime density, um, potential for conflict, um, war zones, uh, terrorism attacks, national, you know, natural disasters. Um, all of these would impact your population for sentinels and guides. So you could probably have a statistical number of potential sentinels and guides like all over the world, and then that potential would be get would be m modulated by by need. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, say say if you, if if you had a um, Sentinel AU set in the MCU, and say four or five years before the the Chitauri invasion, a, a bunch of Sentinel and guys started coming online. Or say they came online the day Thor's hammer fell to Earth. Thor's because hammer falling to Earth makes way more sense than some sort of prescience about where Loki was going to put that portal. That's and they just, just, just signals and guys just came online all over the world in response to, um, and maybe this is like the second surge. And the first surge happened 
during Captain Marvel events. Yeah. And so there, there's a surge there, and then there's another big surge because Thor's hammer fell, and then the Chitauri invasion happened, and there was a huge surge. And it's just like building up. And you could do that in any fandom. Like the first time the Stargate opened in the 20s or 30s, was it 40s, when Ernest went through, um, there was a surge. When they reopened the Stargate and they sent the team to Abydos, there was another surge. A year later, it happened again. Raw comes to Earth. A year later, Sentinels and Gods come all over the world. So you could take events in your canon and kind of, you know, have like little mini explosions in your population um, in response. Like the sonic energy of the planet is responding to these threats, these um, these threats that are coming at Earth from various situations. Um, if you have natural disasters that have happened in your fandom. Um, I imagine that any criminal fandom um, um, crime show that dealt that um, that nine eleven featured in, um, there would be an immense number of Sentinels and Guides coming online, which would be CSI New York. Um, what was that show? Was it Paramedics and the Firefighters? Um, oh my God! Are you, are you talking? Are you talking about like Chicago Fire, or are you talking about like literally any other show about? It was set in New York. Um, it had that guy oh. that ended up married to Leanne Rhymes in it. Eddie. C- mm. And it had that female cop that her husband, I forget what he did, but he has a heart. There was a blackout in the city and he had a heart attack. And I remember specifically that she hauled him out of the elevator. She's a badass. Anyways, yeah, but Chicago Fire, Chicago, um, no, no. It's a New York show. Yeah, there's Um, been a lot of shows about paramedic and firefighter combo, but any of them, that's the point. Law and Order, NCIS, Criminal, Third Watch, thank you, Desert, Third Watch. Um, Any of those shows that would have been on around the time of 9-11, you could have a Sentinel and Guide come online during during that time period. It'd be very realistic. Yeah, if 9-11 occurred and, in the Sentinel and Guide universe, I think there would be a huge hurtful. surge. Yeah, a, a huge surge in that time period. Or you look at past events like um, the invasion of Pearl Harbor. Like You could have one of your characters' great-grandparents were Sentinel and Guide, and they came on during the invasion of Pearl Harbor. I think that might be especially powerful in um, Hawaii Five-O. If Steve had uh, an ancestor... Um, who lived on the island, who came online during Pearl Harbor. I pick on Nebraska for reasons. Because that person who who emailed me all butthurt because my kid from California didn't want to live in Nebraska. (laughs) I got got a three-page email about it. Do you think that people would online when they start testing the nuclear bomb? Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it would represent a danger to the tribe. So. So, yeah. I mean, you could look at. um, This would be a really interesting way to build. This is world building. This is character building. um, 
do you if if you have a sentinel and guy or, or a sentinel who's got a long history in his in his in his family of sentinels in his family only come online in response to these kind of events like say um that his family line his his or her family line has a strong tendency to come online as an alpha in response to extreme events pearl harbor 9/11 the nuclear bomb testing, um, an immense earthquake, uh, oh, what's it, um, Mount St. Helens. Um, just, you know. I, I'm not sure. Do you, I mean, natural disasters might bring a Sentinels and Guides online. It would depend on where they are. I think if you're anywhere near um, an impending explosion of a volcano and you're a Sentinel, I think you would hear it. Yeah, or you were a potential sentinel, I think it'd bring you on. Because it would be like, instinctually, I see, it's my headcanon that sentinels are always harvesting data. They just don't, they're just a part of their brain that would, would um, that would deal with it, aren't active. You know, they're not, they're not touching that psionic energy. So it's kind of being filed away in the back of their mind. So it's always there. I think that um, in that situation, that they would just feel like a like a snap. And they would snap on in response yeah. to say, you know, if they've got a tsunami heading towards them. Yeah. Now, I I tend to write under threat that sentinels come online and then guides come online in response. Um, and the reason why I write it that way is because a bunch of guides coming online, I tend to write guides coming online as a more difficult to deal with, right? So a guide comes online unexpectedly. It's either because sentinels are coming online in surges or there's trauma that's pulled them online. But a guide, you wouldn't want somebody coming online under threat so like there's an alien invasion and guides start coming online that's going to traumatize everyone because the way i write guides is they would if they're if they're being threatened and they don't know how to control their shields because they're new they're going to be blasting they're upset to the to everybody which is why i would not have guides come online actually i would almost think so i, I tend to write sentinels don't come online if the act of coming online would harm them so like Tony Stark is not going to come online as a sentinel while his chest is cut open. Oh God, that would, Can that you would imagine? kill him. Right, he would go into sensory collapse and die. I think that say if John Shepard's family had a history of coming online as Alpha in in, in extreme events, and um, he would not come online unless he got near the Stargate. If the Stargate was the issue, I think that the sentinels in the Colorado area would come online. In re, you know, in response to um, the Stargate, uh, Sentinels who are in the mountain would come online, obviously. Um, and it, maybe it would spread out. But I don't think John in particular would come online until he got... I think the Sonic Plane is um, intelligent. I see an intelligence when I write it that way. So I wouldn't have um, a Sentinel come online to a threat like that and not be able to find it. Because right. that's a that's the road to insanity, right? So, uh, like a bunch of people in 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 um, Colorado Springs are showing up at Cheyenne Mountain, going, "What is going on in that mountain? It's upsetting us. We don't know what it is, but we know we're upset." Well, come on in. 
Like, they well, have to bring yeah. them in. Okay, come on in. Um, otherwise, they're going to start making. They're going to start making phone calls. Right. Um, how would you like to join the Air Force <laughs> or the Marines? How would you like to be a United States Marine? Um, yeah, or we'll pretty much any branch of service at this point. Or oh, you're a scientist. We don't have any Great. scientists, but we'll take it. Um, you're a plumber. So, that's fantastic. That's because even better. Because K has been asking over what <laughs> a you. How would you like to make two hundred thousand dollars a month to live <laughs> <Right>. in Pegasus? <laughs> but if you have, so you got to think about it. If a sentinel can't, if you if you if you allow that sentinels and guides will not come online in circumstances that will harm them. Or the tribe, potentially. With with like a sentinel, if the tribe is threatening, it's threatening a guide. A sentinel comes online, deals with it. That's not what I'm talking about. But so sentinels don't come online if they are going to harm themselves. So not while they're in pain, not while they're having their chest cut open, not while um, they, it's just it can't be these, these things don't make sense because the sentinel would die. And Similarly, not when they're in a position to do nothing. Right. So a sentinel could be under threat if they're able to act. It it might the psionic plane, the sentience would pull them online, and it's like go, and because I tend to write sentinels as being faster and stronger, it's like go defend the tribe. Is kind of what's happening there. Conversely, with a guide, if there's a threat that could like they're about to die or something, them coming online is probably not going to help them. If they're being tortured, you don't want a guide coming online when they're being tortured. Like, personally, if I was writing Criminal Minds, I would not have Spencer Reed come online as a sentinel or a guide while he was being held by uh, Tobias Henkel. But I do see a situation where perhaps he was already online as a guide when, when, when he was taken. Maybe he was taken for that exact reason in that particular yeah. AU. Um, I think it would be a very big mistake. <laughs> Shit would happen. Shit would get real. Um, it would also explain why he drugged him. Yeah. Now I'm going to back up what I just said a little bit. Um, I do think a guide would come online under threat if it was going to save their life. So if they, let's say, they were alone with somebody about to kill them and their empathic abilities might be able to, like... I don't know, neuter that dude, they might come online. Or if, if their empathic ability is their pathway of their spirit animal coming onto the plane and fucking somebody up. That could work. But it's a guide, but let's say a bunch of guides came online when the Chitari were invading, that could have crippled the people fighting. Because what you're dealing with a bunch of scared guides. So that's not going to help. So I, that's where I think the sentience part of the... The, the intelligence, not the sentience, the intelligence of the psionic plane is important to consider how much, what that, because it's got to be design that works for the tribe. And a bunch of traumatized guides running around New York City broadcasting their fear and crippling um, the first responders is not, is not an intelligent design that but works for the if, tribe. What if they weren't afraid? What if... What if they were the the impetus? What if they felt the Jatari coming? 
and they started coming online and pushing sentinels. Get here, get here, get here. Shit's about to get real. Get here, get here. And they are in themselves a weapon. Like, for instance, um, I haven't plotted in Sentinels of Atlantis that, um, now granted, when Sentinels of Atlantis, when the Wraith end up on, when the Wraith get to Earth, they encounter basically an army of guides, because all the guides on Earth that, that could come online came online, um, in response to the Sentinels that were already, in, you know, in the world, because guides had been suppressed by um, ancients. That will come out later. I just spoiled that for you guys. Um, and so when Wraith Hives show up in the in the orbit, every guy on Earth went, oh, I feel you, bitch. <laughs> you don't want to come down here. <laughs> It'll be a mistake. <laughs> so basically, the queen on that planet, on that hive, gets a hand <laughs> in her face, a psionic one. From a planet full of guys saying, bitch, no. You don't want to do this. I think Settles of Atlantis is a good... That's a good example of where that kind of intelligence works. I don't think it works as well for the Battle of New York. Because, again, no. it, it, it's, focus, it's, it's assigning prescience to that, in, in sent, that intelligent energy knowing where that wormhole was going to get. But if there, but if the wormhole was almost open, like if if that if, if those are events are in play, um, I think that I I think sentinels sentinels could start coming online, but there's just not enough time from the time he started put, assembling that that device and for guys to come online and be trying to get sentinels online and have any kind of I just don't see a bunch of guides newly online being super calm and going oh there's about to be an alien invasion. Well, it, I don't it, it think they would be, gel with I, me. you know, honestly, though, I mean, I don't think, I would not assign more fear to a guide than I would a sentinel. Now, guides have the ability to push that out on other people, but I don't think, I mean, honestly, I think a feral sentinel in the streets would be, could be just as horrific and damaging as a feral guide on the street in well, a, why a very would, different way. Why would a sentinel be feral? You don't think an unbonded sentinel wouldn't be feral in those situ in, in that situation? I'm not saying he'd be killing humans. I'm saying he'd be killing Chitari left, right, and center, and he'd be probably covered in alien blood at this point. He may or may not have a sword he made out of a piece of metal. I mean, <laughs> just well, I just I just know that I think I mean, but the thing is, but I think they have to go feral. If you're talking about sentinels that are just coming online, they have zero ability to control their senses and they don't have a guide, the only safety they have is a feral episode. Otherwise, they zone, they zone out and get killed by a space yeah, so, Well, yeah, I do think that there's a combat drive that they would fall into if they're coming online under threat. That could yeah, then I call later... it a feral combat drive, yeah. But I think there could potentially be a different kind of feral combat drive and just combat drive because it, feral to me implies no ability to control themselves at all to me so I, I but this is just a, this is potentially a difference in just the way we look at the world building but the reason why i i'm not saying the sentinels would be is i i think if you have an event that's throwing them into a combat drive the fear response is suppressed 
so they potentially could be a threat to the tribe, but it isn't. It isn't necessarily baked in. But a, a fearful newly on guide online guide, I do think, would be a threat to the tribe, which is why I don't think it would happen. So I could see guides coming online to a potential threat where they have time to get their abilities under control, but coming online as an aliens coming down on their head, how? Do, where is there an opportunity to get their abilities under control? The same opportunities that sentinels have. But sentinels aren't getting there up right. But guides' abilities aren't, are, that's what I'm talking about. The guide ability is a potential threat to the tribe, and the sentinel is a potential tribe protector. Let's see, in my in my head canon, sentinels and guides have the basic this the same basic genetics. They just come online differently. So if a sentinel is stronger than and faster than the average human being, then so would a guide. Because otherwise he couldn't keep up with his sentinel. And if a sentinel is capable of a combat drive, so is a guide. Potentially, although I don't, I don't want to, I don't want let, let, let's stop because I, I'd, I'd have to start asking questions about specifics where I, I, haven't, <laughs> I've, I haven't read some of this in your work. So let's, 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 I haven't let's done it yet, on. but I mean, this is just my headcanon talking. I just, I, um, I'm just saying, but okay. I mean, I wrote it that way in Primus, but to me, that was not something that I've ever written where the guy has a combat my drive. That it's not, I mean, Rodney not, basically not, does it in Sentinels of Atlantis. I'm not saying it's, but it, he did it very differently. He didn't pick up he a did. sword. No, but that's not an indication that he couldn't. But what I'm saying is, is that I don't see a guide necessary, necessarily as a hand, any more of a handicap, a new guide as I would a, a new Sentinel in that situation. I think that nature would provide. I think if they had to come online for one reason or another, that they would be just as deadly and just as dangerous as a sentinel um, because nature would provide. I'm going to point you to the awakening. That's just my, that's just, that's just my headcanon. You had, which okay, I agree with the headcanon. I think it's possible. But I know in the awakening, you wrote a distressing event causing major empathic events for mm -hmm. guides that affected the tribe. It wasn't right. sentinels coming online that was affecting the tribe. It was the guides. It wasn't her coming online. It was her being murdered. I know, but, but, it, but they, it was causing guides to come online in distress. Yes. And that was a threat to the tribe, which is my point. Guides, under they were under an empathic threat. Her death traumatized them. They came online. They're onlining distressed mundane population. I do think a guide coming online under traumatic circumstances would be a threat to the population. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it's a potential threat to the, to the tribe. Which is why I see guides potentially coming. I agree, guides could come online under traumatic circumstances. I'm just not sure that I see it happening under threat because it's of the potential danger to the mundane population when there's aliens coming down from the sky. But that's just my headcanon. I don't see it. In the Awakening, they didn't... It, it wasn't a threat to the tribe. It was it was Blair's mourning. Blair was mourning his child. He bonded well, with that with that child on the psionic plane, and Blair's emotional pain bled out through Cascade and woke up all of those sentinels. I thought that was clear, but now I feel like I need to no, go no. read it again. Because... That's not what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 
that outpouring of distress from the newly online guides was being felt by the mundane population in the Sentinel, in the Awakening. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those guides were causing, all those but guys not, coming but along. But not all the guys, just some of the guys, because some of them weren't that powerful. Um, right. And some of them weren't completely online. Um, they came online kind of gradually. Um, but yeah, I mean, but also most, a lot of that was Blair. Blair had a lot of impact on a lot of the mundanes in the Awakening. Because he just he, um, he lost control of his abilities in the wake of his mourning. So it wasn't just the online guides that were causing that when all those mundane mundanes went down. It was Blair too. So and then all the guides under him in the pride lost control too because they could not contain him and their own gifts. So it was like a it was like a psionic disaster. Right, and, and that was the that was. That was clear, but I, uh, to me, I just don't see a particular difference between a bunch of that and a bunch of guides coming online when potentially people are being murdered left, right, and center and having to absorb the impact of that on top of their own gifts and their own fear. I don't see how that's not a threat to the tribe. I, I think that you could probably, I don't know, I want to noodle it. You can noodle I mean, you could have like some guides come online with more of a... I'm going to kick your ass kind of vibe. And they're able to control their gifts really instinctively. I just. Yeah. Well, if they're capable of a combat drive, they would absolutely have to be able to push that down and, and do their job and concentrate. Like if they're a cop or if they're in the military or whatever, if they're working for shield. Right. But so you could have, but that's where you're really playing with the idea of the intelligence, the, that intelligent psionic energy would know which guides are going to be able to handle this situation and which ones are just going to. Well, Blast. the implication that they wouldn't, I mean, I mean, I think that the spirit animal comes into play at that point, too, because it isn't like all guides have one spirit animal. They have individual spirit animals, right? Yeah. And that spirit animal has probably always been with them. And that spirit animal is made of psionic energy. No, I don't think the spirit animal has always been with them. That it's my headcanon that the spirit animals are basically always with them. But I... I I tend to do that with shamans. <laughs> I tend to do that with shamans because that implies that there's, you know, if you've, if every latent guide and sentinel, and since I have, a, I always write a fairly small percentage of latent people come online, that implies millions and millions of spirit animals that are never realized as anything realized at all. I find that depressing. At least comment. in, at least not in that life, but maybe in the next. It's actually my headcanon that spirit animals are. Sentinels and guides that have died. Some stay on the spirit plane and become spirit animals, and some are reincarnated. I agree with that headcan. I definitely would not have them with the people until they came online because that's doubly depressing. It's like <laughs> a depressing, like depressing squared. It's like you've chosen to relive your life guiding other sentinels and guides, but you're attached to one over and over and over again that never comes online. Making a face at you. But you act like watching over somebody who doesn't come online would be an insult to them. Not an insult, just depressing and boring. That's their person. Maybe they need a break. Maybe they were at Pearl Harbor and they need a break. <laughs> maybe maybe they they went up in a volcano in Pompeii and, and they're ready for a couple hundred years of break until something interesting happens. 
I mean, it's just my head cannon. You do you, boo. <laughs> I just, I find it to be kind of a depressing concept since I tend to ascribe a fair amount of intelligence to. Um, the spirit animals so that they just kind of don't have a, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could, I guess you could say that they kind of are like guardian spirits. I mean, I guess you could go that route. Yeah. That's, not, that's, that's not kind of what I think they are anyway. I mean, they're guardians. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe in Jim's case, someone who needs, you know, just occasionally smacks him in the back of the head when he's being an asshole. <laughs> maybe that's why he's like an asshole. And then he stops like, Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> And then and you never even know why. It's his spirit guide smacking him in the back of the head. Hey, hey. <laughs> Stop being a jerk. It doesn't matter if your Tupperware matches. Yeah. Um, so someone says the sentinel God, guide. God, no. Gibbs could not be anybody's spirit animal. <laughs> yeah. So somebody says um, a sentinel guide comes online when they're ready. Um, potentially. I've I've written that, but I would say of that's not as well explored as Sentinels and Guides coming online um, with without without their I don't know express consent. I would say usually it happens when it's supposed to happen, but the Sentinel and Guide is ready to come online, so they come online. I've seen that explored very little. I've only written it once, I think, and only on one side of the pairing. When we wrote that one where spirit animals choose, there's a choosing, and the person has to say yes or no. I found that really interesting because I've never done that before. Um, I think you 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 skirted pretty close to it with Primus, where in the you know the animal showed up and and Tony was like, "God damn it, <laughs> yeah, okay, fine, <laughs> fuck." Yeah, I in, Primus, in Primus, I um, the tiger, right? Uh, yeah, it was a tiger. Um, I think I probably would always do Tony as a tiger because Tony the tiger amuses me. Um, it amuses me too. Um. I have tried them with different animals, but I do think, I do think it was a, a tiger again in that one because it is it it's more my head can than the other ones. Although I do, the ocelot is a second a, a good solid second I choice. Think I, I think he's very much big cat. He's a big cat. Yeah. There's something very playful about. I watched this video of a, a adolescent ocelot. It was so playful that I was just like. Mm. But in that verse where I use the ocelot vicious, the spirit animals are very different than I have completely different world building for the spirit animals than anything else I've ever done. Um, so that the, the ocelot was definitely a one-off because I see him more as a big cat than, than this ocelot's not a small cat, but it's a small cat compared to a Siberian tiger. True. I mean, but still, yeah. But I mean, I've, I've tweaked my world building in a lot of my stories. There's some concepts I use pretty universally, but some things I change up. Um, so it's just, you just got to think about what it is and why things work the way they work and what would you do and why. 
And I mean, if, I you, if you had spirit animals kind of stalking potentials from the psionic plane, um, you could even say that time moves differently on the psionic plane, and that basically the uh, a human's life is is a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, great, he's being born again. I do not need to see this part. <laughs> I've seen this part ten times. Um, no, I'll be over here with a drink. <laughs> Let me know when it's two. Um, <laughs> Let me know when he's potty trained. I'll come back and take a peek. <laughs> see if he's to, ready. I'm going to have to. You're, the thing you've mentioned tonight that I think I'm going to be noodling on is that the, the animals with them from birth. I'll have to, I'm going to have to noodle on. That's the one I feel like my brain is latching onto and kind of going. Well, it first crossed my mind when I was um, plotting um, um, the lion and the raven for um, my Harry Potter. Um, and it's the idea that Harry Potter came online when his mother was murdered. Um, a sentinel. And it was like, what comfort could I give him in that moment? And uh, it was like, okay, well, no, his spirit animal's been with him since he was born. His spirit animal is there. He's, she's already there. No. <laughs> she was not a kitten. <laughs> no, she's talking about Journey Home. Voldemort is very lucky <laughs> that he disintegrated because she was not a kitten. No, Harry, the, um, um, Harry's spirit animal in that story is a cave lion. No, she's talking about the journey home. We were talking about Katina. Oh, was, uh, oh. In terms of the, the only time I've really done the with them since birth was um, in journey home where shamans have their spirit animals with them from birth um, and that they will always come online. And that's why the spirit animals with them from birth makes sense. to help protect them and guide them. Yeah. Uh, and so Tony had named his kitten Kit, and it, it represents itself as the same age they are. So when he's little, it looked like a kitten. So he named his kitten Kitten because he was a child. Um, and Blair's wolf looked like a gray puppy. So is he always kitten? Because I honestly, I'm gonna confess something. I've never read Journey Home because I wasn't sure I wanted to read the Jack Tony pairing. Um, no, he named him Gattino, which is Italian for kitten. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> and Jack named his um, spirit animal Gretzky. Um, I have issues because for me, Jack in the Sentinel and Guide world belongs to Patrick Shepard. I have some, I have some headcanon going on there. <laughs> headcanon is ugly. <laughs> it can be really detrimental to your reading ability. <laughs> Yeah, it can be rough. But anyway. Um, I have been thinking about reading it, though. Kitty. Kitty, kitty. Yeah, when when, uh, when when he meets his tiger as an adult, he finds out. When he meets it the first time he meets, he goes. He recognizes it, even though it's an adult now. Um, and he realizes that. He asks, where have you been? And it's because he hasn't been able to see the tiger because he'd had his, his uh, he'd been given guide suppressors. And um, when Blair finds out his name, he because his name is Gatino, and Blair looks at him and goes, you named your kitten? You named your tiger Kitty? Um, 
And and Tony's like, I was a child, okay? <laughs> and she I was, was a little. Child. <laughs> or was that Dan it was Daniel who says that, I think maybe. Um, I think it was Daniel. Oh, that's right, it's Daniel. Daniel, because when Daniel meets Gatino, which Jack doesn't know what it means, Gatino shows up and Daniel's like, You're only supposed to have one of those, Jack. He's like, he's like, Gatino belongs to a friend. And he goes, That tiger's name is Kitten. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he wasn't a full grown tiger, though. He was a tiny tiger. He grew up with Tony. That's adorable, actually. Yeah, so Tony had uh, always been able to see that, but nobody else could. Tony had always seen the tiger, and it was his comfort as a kid, and then he was given guide suppressors. They suppressed um, his shaman? Oh my god, did somebody end up in jail? Now I have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Tony comes online... Don't tell I, me anymore. You'll okay, spoil it I for will. me. All uh, right. You'll spoil this fic that's been written for a decade. <laughs> well, not really a decade, that, right? It's like... You're going to be horrified at how many points of view there are. However, I will point out that there's <laughs> a, it's 126K and I, there's a reason for all the points of view. I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm to get out a post-it card and make a little tick for each point of view. See how many I get. Do you, boo. <laughs> how long, um, how long ago was it written? I wrote it in um, April of 2014. Oh, so five years, basically. Almost, almost six, six years. Yeah, yeah, almost Six. six. Well, headcanon mess you up is what it is. Because around that time, I think I was writing Sentinels of Atlantis. Ish. It, yeah, you were. It was still. It was still. You were still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'd posted the last part yet. The search. But yeah, headcanon will mess you up. It'll. It'll. it'll Make it difficult to read. And then also, sometimes it protects you. Because you don't want to read things. Like, like if I had a history of reading John Shepard and Tony Dinozo fic, I didn't. But if I had. <laughs> had a history of that. If I didn't have a mother. If I, if I didn't already have a mothership in the SGA. If I didn't already have my ship. My OTP that I will go down with. If I hadn't already had that, and I had read a whole bunch of Tony Dinozo banging John Shepard, I would have dealt with some serious issues. <laughs> serious, serious issues. Well, to be fair, I'm not found. saying I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying there's a correlation. Okay, because I don't think there is, but there wasn't a lot of that pairing before I wrote that story. Because if there was, I would have been reading it. And I probably wouldn't have written it. Yeah. Just saying. So uh, there might have been some, but there wasn't a lot. There's a lot more of it now. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's any kind of causation there. I I'm can't just, I can't read it because it reads like incest, and that's Jilly's fault. I definitely can't read it. Like, and that's whoa. not even credit. That is blame. Do not have sex with your brother. What is the matter with you? This, <laughs> I mean, this not is that not... I would want to read it again because I have an OTP. Yeah, this is not supernatural. Oh, okay. John. This is not supernatural. <laughs> no fucking your brother. That poor fandom. <laughs> I actually really like Jack Tony um, as a pairing. It surprised me because I sometimes I try a pairing, not certain how. Starting out, starting how I'm going to feel about it. Um, I did really like that one, but I didn't feel like I needed to do it a bunch. So. 
I remember that fic. I made art for that fic. Well, I made an aesthetic for that fic. That's what it's called, apparently. Collages, they're called aesthetics. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to what you do with these tropes, the main thing, there are two things to keep in mind when you're looking at these tropes. One, what are my ripples? If I twist this trope and do this with it, what are my legitimate, realistic consequences? And can I accept them? If you can't accept them, you need to back your ass up a little bit and try again. And two, consistency. If you say that, got, that spirit animals have kind of have always been with their sentinels and guides since their, since their birth, um, but then later on in your story, you have a sentinel come online and their spirit animal has no idea who they are. And keeps asking questions about their life. You've got a consistency problem. Because that asshole should know all those answers. <laughs> Why is that? Well. And you're going to need to deal with the fact. And be prepared for that. There are a few stories where sentinels. The spirit animals talk. Um, right. If but there are many. You have to keep track of every fucking spirit animal. And their personality. Right. But there aren't many. And if you decide to do it. Go ahead. If you want to explore that trope, go for it. Just be aware that there's going to be some asshole who's going to tell you that spirit animals don't behave like that. And when the spirit animals will talk, and when that happens, you just tell them to fuck right off because there is literally nothing in canon that says they do or don't talk. There's there's very little in canon about. They're talking about Fanon. And in Fanon, for the most part, they don't. But there are some stories where they do. So you do you. Make yourself happy. There was somebody once who who pointed something out to me like that. It wasn't about spirit animals because I've never had spirit animals talk, but it was something in Sentinels of Atlantis that they didn't agree with. They said it was not canon. And so I asked them to point me to the canon source that proved me wrong. And they kept sending me links to other fan fiction. I said, no, I need the canon source for this. Of course, there wasn't any. I think it was a guide thing, and guides didn't exist in the show. I mean, he, like you said earlier in the very beginning of the podcast, God, but Blair was called a guide once by this criminal CIA agent who kidnapped him to blackmail um, Jim. Once. Into, into stealing something. And Blair mm -hmm. didn't have any empathy. Well, he had a natural amount of empathy for a person raised by a hippie. Okay? But he didn't have any paranormal ability with it. He became a shaman in spirit when Enchilada passed it. Enchilada? <laughs> it, it, it definitely it's definitely closer to Encacha than it is to Enchilada I mean I said it because it because it popped into my brain the moment I said what I said Enchilada popped into my head and I was like I have to say it because it's fucking hilarious but I mean so that was like in spirit but not actually in performance we never saw Blair go out and be the shaman of the great city yeah and we don't and it's not even clear what shaman meant Right? right. It's just he, said, he said he was passing the way of the shaman to Blair, which means what? And, it, and then they never talk about it again, right? So, like, this went on for weeks. And every time she would send me something, I would send her back. That is not canon. That is a piece of fan fiction. I'm going to need the canon resource. So, after about the 30th email, 
because I am stubborn if I'm anything. Um, she told me um, that I was being ridiculous. I just need to change my story. To which I responded, go fuck yourself. And she never did give me a canon source for her bullshit. She just, just said. Read. The thing is, she had developed a headcanon because she'd seen something a lot in fan fiction, and she couldn't deal with something violating her headcanon. So she needed to stop reading your story because sometimes you can't. You cannot deal with something violating your headcanon. It was Bates. It was Bates and Graham. When Graham was on that altar about to get um, sacrificed and he's naked, and he drives um, Bates into a feral drive. He pushes Bates into a feral state when he comes online. Because Bates was kind of like hovering on and offline. He wasn't quite there yet. Um, and he pushes um, Bates into a feral drive. Um, the reader told me that that was um, a violation of canon. That it was absolutely impossible. I was like, okay. Do you, now, I, uh, I watched The Sentinel haphazardly. Haha. Um, a long time ago, did... Jim ever have a feral episode? Not that I recall. Right? I mean, the, I mean, the closest thing was how wackadoodle he was on those antihistamines that once. But I don't know that I'd call that feral. He so was, Jim didn't go feral. Blair wasn't actually really an empathic guide. I mean, yes, that's actually a violation of canon. But um, I wasn't writing canon. I was writing a, a Sentinel Guide well, around AU. But plus, she kept sending me all these links to stories where guides would never do that. Is there a source of beautiful, intimate comfort? Ugh. But you Bates. know what Graham was that day? He was exactly what Dean Bates needed him to be, yeah. which is what a guide is. I'd have just been like, Bates exactly what their Sentinel needs them to be. To say Bates was not a sentinel in canon either. <laughs> so shut <Right>? up. <laughs> you do realize this character didn't exist in the sentinel. <laughs> but the I sentinel violated her her um her soft marshmallow guide head cannon. Head cannon. And so she obviously we... had no idea what the word canon versus fanon actually meant. But it was really fun sending her repeatedly. Um, that's not canon. You, you'll have to send me a canon source before I'll change it. I had no intention of ever changing it, but you knew it wasn't. There was no canon source, right? She did send me a slave AU one. Now I will say, I will say this: that it could be said that in the show, Jim would go a little bonkers when Blair was in trouble. Right. I think that's where the root of the feral it comes from. Mm -hmm. I mean, Blair usually helped himself as much as Jim ever did, but you could argue that the feral episode does have its roots in canon, and that the guide potentially could push the... I mean, because, think about it, Blair knows that Jim can hear him, so why wouldn't he be trying to push Jim? Y'all, remember that episode, not episode, remember that story where Blair got, gets kidnapped? And they're all like, oh, fuck, I can't believe we kidnapped Ellison's student. We're in so much trouble. <laughs> and he's like, it'll be fine. Blair's trying to talk them down off the ledge. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jim and the entire Cascade Police Department are outside the warehouse. And Jim gets the bullhorn and tells them, you need to let my guy go or else. <laughs> I did not read this. 
Well, the only one better is when Blair skips school and he he has some kind of connection with him. And so when Blair doesn't show up to work the way he's supposed to, you know, to, to be Jim's student, um, ride along, um, they all start looking for him and they can't find him. And he's not at the police station and he's not at the campus and he's not at the apartment. And Blair's gone to an amusement park. So every once in a while, Jim will get this flash of Blair screaming. He's on he's on a damn roller coaster. And Jim thinks he's dying. He's losing his shit. And finally, Blair just kind of strolls in at the end of the day. He's had a fantastic day. He lived his best life at the amusement park. And they're all a distraught mess because they think Blair's been murdered. Okay. I, I need this first one, though. Or the second one. Both of them. I want both of them. How come I have Willow? a red Okay, the, the one where he gets kidnapped. It isn't like the first time he get gu- he he gets kidnapped a lot. And like there's been like this um it's like in the course of them finding Blair, they clear like 10 or 20 cases. Like the the, the whole like major cat crimes loses their shit, right? They break open a gun smuggling ring and a they did a big drug bust. And they're trying to figure out which one of their cases is responsible for kidnapping Blair. But I think he actually got kidnapped by a pair of his students. Or a parent. It's been a long time since I... You, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so when they finally get to him, they're all like about to lose their fucking mind. And the whole city has learned that you absolutely, under no circumstances, are you allowed to touch Blair Sandberg. Because, you know... Even crime bosses are saying, look, don't do this because when you do it, it impacts our business. <laughs> I feel sad that I don't know this story. Willow? I don't Willow. think she's online. I don't think she's here. Oh, did Willow leave us? Yes, the Fick Ninja has signed off. We're going to have to put in a request in the Fick Ninja Central. Anyway, well, we're pondering. Um... So there's there's when you're when you're doing your you're deciding what tropes you want to use. And you should also bear in mind that some tropes, common tropes, might be in conflict with each other. That they mm-hmm. might not work together. And and you need to look to see do the do my tropes, you know, do they clash? Because not all tropes work. Um like um you honestly couldn't mix like um sitting on guide mixers and meet and greets with a slave AU where Sentinels are supposed to be able to buy their guide. Right. Because if that was the case, there wouldn't be a damn meet and greet I would go to if I was a guy. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm staying home. So just think about, you know, which tropes you like. And if if you like tropes that are in conflict, you just have to write two different stories, honestly. It's better and than you getting more that- opportunities next year to do so. Mm-hmm. It's better than getting a vibe that the story it just doesn't make sense. If you want to write an asexual character or um, a character characters in a platonic bond, you need to be very careful about the bonding and how that works and what that means um, to both the Sentinel and the guide and what that means for outside relationships so you don't inadvertently create something that's inherently abusive. Right. Like you wouldn't want to have like an ace character where if, if they could get sexual desire or sexual urges through the bond right like if you were passing across all emotions you it could be very uncomfortable for somebody who's ace especially who doesn't somebody who's ace who doesn't feel 
sexual desire to get sexual desire through the bond or to feel their partner having sex that could be a really feel like a really abusive situation to me um mm -hmm. if you're writing somebody who is ace who is doesn't experience or doesn't want sexual desire to then have them feeling that through a bond you may not intend it to be ugly but i would read it that way or if you write a platonic bond where there's a lot of animosity between them and one of them is using sex to punish the other. Yeah, that's kind of That's ugly. gross, y'all. I've seen it. Um, People are assholes. That's why. <laughs> also, I I really get very tense about stories personally where and sometimes you can tell the author doesn't intend for it to be taken this way where the guide is kind of in service to the sentinel and their life is kind of, you know, where like, you know, especially if the Sentinel doesn't really want the guide sexually, but the guide, you know, has to like, I don't know, move into the Sentinel's house and give up everything to support the Sentinel in their career. And um, where literally where the guide gives up everything and the Sentinel gives up nothing except a little bit of space. There's nothing, there's nothing balanced about that. And all the, and, and the thing is, I usually see this written where it's like the guy, the guy, what the guy's getting out of this is the bond that they so desperately want. I mean, yeah, I usually do write that guides want a bond, but the idea of basically putting yourself into kind of that position where you give up everything in your life and you don't even get a romantic partnership out of it. You don't even get a partnership out of it. And all you, you get, get an abusive bond. relationship out of it. That's, that's what you get. It feels so unbalanced that it makes me uncomfortable. And so it, figure out if you're drawn to stories that have that kind of trope in it. I mean, figure out what it is you're drawn to and maybe work out a different way to work that out. Um, to, to explore that dynamic without it feeling abusive. Unless you want it to feel abusive. In which case, you know, well, A, you do you. But don't ask me for help plotting that because I'm just going to keep pointing out to you that that's abuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's abusive, right? Abuse, 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 abuse. I'm, a, abuse. I'm not a good, I'm not a good balance buddy. If you want to plot something that feels abusive. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes you can tell that they did not mean it. They did not mean that. But, but you, this is when you have to pay attention to your ripples and your, your ramifications and your consequences all those dirty words um, because they will come back to bite you on the ass if you're not paying attention to them. And you'll have a reader emailing you and say, hey, why'd you write this really rapey fic? I would never write you. But you did. Well, I mean, and I'm not immune to this. I have written things and looking back and I think, bitch, <laughs> you did not think through your consequences. <laughs> It happens. And yeah, if you're writing something that starts abusive with the intention of fixing it, that's a different thing than un making something unintentionally abusive or intentionally abusive and carrying through with it. So, um, I mean, there was, there's an author I read, I read on a fairly regular basis and they wrote a story, a settle story where it kind of had that vibe in the relationship. Like the guide was just willing to do anything to have a bond. And it felt so desperate that the fact that they were getting almost nothing ex out of this except a bond but the sentinel was getting everything it felt 
gross. And I was like, this is not, this is somebody I read, right? This is not what this, this is not the way this writer usually does this kind of thing. Hmm. And I, I, well, I, I concluded they hadn't realized what they had written. I'd never seen they them. have you have something in you that's just like kind of festering and you want to get it out and it comes out in this really ugly way that you're not prepared for and you don't really see until later. So maybe a couple of years from now she'll read that and go, what the fuck? What the fuck did I write? I mean, yeah. I mean, and, I, and I'm sure that sometimes, I mean, really, sometimes women do feel, might feel that way. Some women might feel that way in their relationships, right? Like they give up everything and get nothing but practically. And it could have been a parallel, unintentional parallel to how maybe this person felt about the relate a relationship they were actively in and trying to romanticize it, right? Or something. I don't know. But, and then later on, they'll go back and read it and go, wow, that's reflective of a really bullshit time in my life. Look what but, I did. But just just think, because there is a lot of potential to find in the most common and benign tropes. There's a lot of potential to find ways for it to become abusive or ugly when you're dealing with the kinds of abilities and stuff that are ascribed commonly to Sentinels and Guides in this type of AU. So just think hard um, about, about your choices. Um, and also, I would also caution you to not be original for the sake of it some of the biggest blunders i've seen in sentinel guide stories are people who are trying to be original for the sake of it and what, meaning they're trying to do something that nobody else has done before and what they have not bothered to stop and think is that what they're doing doesn't actually make sense and it's like and and I there's a reason why no one else has done it no one's done that because it doesn't it doesn't work yes, and so does. originality for its own sake often needs a giant lampshade um that it usually doesn't get so it it's and almost, honestly sometimes there's no lampshade big enough right there's being being be original with with how you implement your idea but sometimes reinventing the wheel there's a reason why the tropes exist the way they exist is there's been a lot of fix that have worked this stuff out and figured out that this is the way this stuff works. And it's not to say you can't find some new spin. That, I'm not saying that at all. But it seems like every time I see something that's wildly different in the Sentinel, I'm like cringing, going, that has this problem. I see the I see the ripples just spreading out going, wow, that does not work at all. Um, so just be careful. If you're trying to find, if you've never written a Sentinel before, this is the wrong time to try to find something nobody else has done. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a, I think all people who who have done rough trade um, in the past, or who've um, kind of not really focused on rough trade, or have never done it, and they look at it, and say, oh, you know, maybe I'll do it this year. They underestimate what kind of challenge it is, and really, um, from a from a fandom point of view, rough trade's pretty unique, and it's high octane. There is something really, and I have like, you know, Jilly and I have both been writing around the same amount of time, 30 plus years. Um, and every single time I post on a rough trade, I get a little not because I'm posting a rough draft. And there's a reason why I called it naked, naked nano when I started, because you are, you are, your ass is naked in the wind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Your ass is swinging up in the air. I mean, because it's like it's like you're exposing yourself, um, and the reasons why the comment 
situation is the way it is on Rough Trade and why we moderate it so heavily. Um, but it is a it's a high octane challenge and it can be very nerve wracking and ner and um, I don't make a habit of um, setting myself up to fail. I like to challenge myself and sometimes I make mistakes so I fall flat on my face and you guys have seen me do it and um, I learned just as much from those failures as I do my, my successes so I don't regret any of them but I also wouldn't go out of my way to cr to reinvent the wheel in the middle of a, of a rough trade challenge yeah I've there have been ideas <laughs> <laughs> like I've talked to Kira about some ideas before and like I'll get like midway through discussing and go I don't think I want to do that in public which is what doing rough trade feels like to me right it's writing in public and there's just some ideas I don't want to explore where I can't, you know, where I post something and then wish I could take the whole thing down, right? Because, I mean, I've done that where I've been like, okay, that did not go the way I expected. I need to back up 4,000 words. Um, so it, it's just sometimes you just like go, okay, that's not something I want to explore on Rough Trade. Um, and there's some concepts that are just really complicated where I was like, I know I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to... I just, I need the ability to backtrack. And you technically can backtrack on Rough Trade. You can just put a note in and say, hey, that thing that I wrote in chapter two, it didn't actually happen. That's fine. That's because it's a rough draft. You're allowed to do that. But it's just, I don't want to set myself up for that kind of complication in a live challenge, basically. So if you've never written the Sentinel before, trying to reinvent the wheel and do Rough Trade, mm, you do I you. Would. Good luck. Which if we just wouldn't recommend, recommend it. it. Yeah. Right. Well, there is no room to hide. I mean, you're like right out there in front of everybody. Um, and, and that way, and you know, honestly, Rough Trade gets a lot of traffic. Um, you, you probably don't want to know how much traffic Rough Trade actually gets. Because it's insane. It's insanity. Okay. Um, but for the record... Last year, we had 5 million site views and 271,000 visitors. Yeah. So, there's, I mean... And one of the and that's one of the, and that's another reason why moderation is what it is on Rough Trade. Because we do, we, it is, it is very, um, yeah... Let me show you the way the statistics. My 2011 statistics are kind of wonky because of WordPress, but this is what I have from 2012 to 2009 to 2018. I haven't put up 19s, obviously, because we're not finished with 19. Um, but the first column is site views, and the third column is site visitors. <clears throat> So, yeah, I mean, we had a huge jump from 2000. In fact, our, basically, we, we doubled in site views between 2017 and 2018. So that means are, you those, are you traumatizing everybody with statistics? <laughs> statistics and damn statistics. But the thing is, is like, even though, like, we have a huge, like, a huge dramatic leap in um, the views. Um, our moderation stayed on point. And some of the people acted badly and were like, nope, delete, delete, delete. Because we don't fear that. 
I would delete a comment from Nora Roberts if she was rude. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no one gets to be rude, right? Is, is, is what I'm getting at. So creating a safe environment for rough, for rough trade is really important to the creative process because this is a writer's website, not a reader's website. And we structure our challenges and our feedback rules with that in mind. That we want you to be safe to experiment and try new things and um, explore your craft and grow as a writer, uh, but also um, to be comfortable and to be around other writers who are being really, really fucking creative. Because um, that creative energy is um, difficult to replicate. And uh, it's, it's exciting to, uh, to be around other writers doing their thing, which is why I think the Discord servers are working out really so well. Um, it's just because it's really uh, inspiring to be around other writers and watching other writers do their thing on Rough Trade is is fantastic. It is. Um, so we had almost 1.3 million views in November. I'm assuming you told them that. No, I haven't done 2019 statistics, so I haven't even looked. No. But yeah, go ahead. Um. I'm just looking at um, I'm just looking at what we did in November, which no, actually bigger. April was bigger at 1.4 million, and so was July at 1.35 million. Um, but this is our biggest November. Last November, we were only at 800,000. <clears> I think it's like, you know, safe places for you to to explore ideas and um, get feedback on your ideas and ask writer questions, ask writerly questions like, hey, does this sound good? Does this sound inspiring? Is this shit? Because you can tell me if it's shit. I really want to know. <laughs> you can read my shit and tell me if it's shit, but I don't want to put it out in public for other people to say it's shit. It's like I told my husband the other day that I was really tired of people and he was like... <sighs> What about me? I said, you're not a people. <laughs> you're my person. <laughs> you're not people. People are the assholes at Walmart. Don't put the card up. <clears throat> right? Sometimes my chat window just stops moving. It's really annoying. But um, I I hope that uh you guys get some stuff out of these these Sentinel um these Sentinel podcasts you know as we approach these challenges because you know I did worry that you know creating these challenges just they're so central focused on the Sentinel would be uh like would dissuade participation but um traditionally our sentinel challenges get the most participation so i feel like we'll be okay yeah not every challenge is for everyone right you know? canon divergence wasn't for everybody not everybody enjoys writing canon divergence but by the same token not everybody enjoys writing harry potter or stargate or whatever i was trying to get a specific statistic um, 
months. November. Well, um, okay, I found it. Um, really, that doesn't add up, Jetpack. <laughs> now, come on now. Did you really expect it to? Yes. Just think about who you're talking to. Right. But um, according to the stats, the based upon the number of... Um, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Why it's so off. Um, the number of... Um, I was trying to figure out what the average number of um, views per post is, but it's almost, you'd have to separate out the home page and the recent post page because it's oh. coming up with like, um, like 5,500 page views per post. And that's not right. And then I realized it's because it's counting the home page. And, uh, but we had 246 posts published in November. Um, we've, and and in that 246 posts, you know, um, there were 62,000 visitors and one point, almost 1.3 million page views. My fucking job just finished sinking. I knew she was going to look at it. <laughs> I knew it. It took, it took four and a half fucking hours. <laughs> We've been on the podcast for three. Now I have to pee. I'll be right back. Continue to to, to harass them with. Actually, we we should probably end the podcast. End the podcast, yeah. And then we can then we can continue to harass you with statistics. Um, I hope this podcast was very beneficial and that you got a lot out of it and that you're looking forward to other Sentinel and Guide podcasts. We've got several planned. Um, we're going to dig in deep to these different concepts and explore headcanon, um, not just our own. <laughs> But some of our own, or maybe even we'll develop some new ideas for Sentinels and Guides to kind of get you guys inspired about what's going to happen next year. We're going to do some trope drifts and we're going to do some plot drifts for pairings um, to hopefully get you inspired. And so uh, I hope that, you know, you're looking forward to all those and um, we shall catch you um, later on probably this week. So say goodnight, Jilly. Night, everyone.